0: Section Forty-One of Marion Fay by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Volume Two, Chapter Nineteen, False Tidings. But there was another household which the false tidings of Lord Hampstead's death reached that same night. The feelings excited at Trafford had been very keen parental agony maternal hope disappointment and revenge but in that other household there was suffering quite as great mr fay himself did not devote much time during the day either to the morning or the evening newspapers had he been alone at messrs pogson and little bird's he would have heard nothing of the false tidings But, sitting in his inner room, Mr. Pogson read the third edition of the evening advertiser, and then saw the statement, given with many details. We, said the statement, have sent over to the office of our contemporary, and have corroborated the facts. Then the story was repeated. Pushing his way through a gate at Gimberley Green, Lord Hampstead's horse had tumbled down, and all the field had ridden over him. He had been picked up dead, and his body had been carried home to Gore's Hall. Now Lord Hampstead's name had become familiar in King's Court. Tribbledale had told how the young lord had become enamoured of Zachary Fay's daughter, and was ready to marry her at a moment's notice. The tale had been repeated to old Littlebird by young Little Bird, and at last even to Mr. Pogson himself. There had been, of course, much doubt in King's Court as to the very improbable story. But some inquiries had been made, and there was now a general belief in its truth. When Mr. Pogson read the account of the sad tragedy, he paused a moment to think what he would do, then opened his door and called for Zachary Fay they who had known the quaker long always called him zachary or friend zachary or zachary fay my friend said mr pogson have you read this yet and he handed him the paper i never have much time for the newspaper till i get home at night said the clerk taking the sheet that was offered him you had better read it perhaps as i have heard your name mentioned i know not how properly with that of the young lord then the quaker bringing his spectacles down from his forehead over his eyes slowly read the paragraph as he did so mr pogson looked at him carefully but the quaker showed very little emotion by his face does it concern you zachary i know the young man mr pogson though he be much out of my own rank, circumstances have brought him to my notice. I shall be grieved if this be true. With thy permission, Mr. Pogson, I will lock up my desk and return home at once. To this Mr. Pogson, of course, assented, recommending the Quaker to put the newspaper into his pocket. Zachary Fay, as he walked to the spot where he was wont to find the omnibus, considered much as to what he might best do when he reached home. Should he tell the sad tidings to his girl, or should he leave her to hear it when further time should have confirmed the truth? To Zachary himself it seemed too probable that it should be true. Hunting, to him, in his absolute ignorance of what hunting meant, seemed to be an occupation so full of danger that the wonder was that the hunting world had not already been exterminated and then there was present to him a feeling as there is to so many of us that the grand thing which fortune seemed to offer him was too good to be true it could hardly be that he should live to see his daughter the mother of a future british peer he had tried to school himself not to wish it telling himself that such wishes were vain and such longings wicked. He had said much to himself as to the dangers of rank and titles and wealth for those who were not born to them. He had said something also of that family tragedy which had robbed his own life of most of its joys, and which seemed to have laid so heavy a burden on his girl's spirit. Going backwards and forwards morning and evening to his work He had endeavored to make his own heart acknowledge that the marriage was not desirable, but he had failed, and had endeavored to reconcile the failure to his conscience by telling himself falsely that he, as a father, had been anxious only for the welfare of his child. Now he felt the blow terribly on her account, feeling sure that his girl's heart had been given to the young man, but he felt it also on his own. It might be, nevertheless, that the report would prove untrue. Had the matter been one in which he was not himself so deeply interested, he would certainly have believed it to be untrue, he being a man by his nature not prone to easy belief. It would, however, be wiser, he said to himself, as he left the omnibus at the Duchess of Edinburgh, To say nothing as yet to marion then he put the paper carefully into his breastcoat pocket and considered how he might best hide his feelings as to the sad news but all this was in vain the story had already found its way down to paradise row mrs demijohn was as greedy of news as her neighbors and would generally send round the corner for a halfpenny evening journal on this occasion she did so and within two minutes of the time in which the paper had been put into her hands exclaimed to her niece almost with ecstasy clara what do you think that young lord who comes here to see marion fay has gone and got himself killed out hunting lord hampstead shouted clara got himself killed laws aunt i can't believe it in her tone also there was something almost of exultation. The glory that had been supposed to be awaiting Marion Fay was almost too much for the endurance of any neighbor. Since it had become an ascertained fact that Lord Hampstead had admired the girl, Marion's popularity in the row had certainly decreased. Mrs. Duffer believed her no longer to be handsome. Clara had always thought her to be pert. Mrs. Demijohn had expressed her opinion that the man was an idiot, and the landlady at the Duchess of Edinburgh had wittily asserted that young marquises were not to be caught with chaff. There was no doubt a sense of relief in Clara Demijohn's mind when she heard that this special young marquis had been trampled to death in the hunting field and carried home a corpse. I must go and tell the poor girl said clara immediately leave it alone said the old woman there will be plenty to tell her let alone you but such occasions occur so rarely that it does not do not to take advantage of them in ordinary life events are so unfrequent and when they do arrive they give such a flavour of salt to hours which are generally tedious that sudden misfortunes come as godsends almost even when they happen to ourselves. Even a funeral gives a tasteful break to the monotony of our usual occupations, and smallpox in the next street is a gratifying excitement. Clara soon got possession of the newspaper, and with it, in her hand, ran across the street to number 17. Miss Fay was at home, and in a minute or two came down to Miss Demijohn in the parlor. It was only during the minute or two that Clara began to think how she should break the tidings to her friend, or in any way to realize the fact that the tidings would require breaking. She had rushed across the street with the important paper in her hand, proud of the fact that she had something great to tell. But during that minute or two it did occur to her that a choice of words was needed for such an occasion. Oh, Miss Faye, she said, have you heard? Heard what? asked Marion. I do not know how to tell you. It is so terrible. I have only just seen it in the newspaper, and have thought it best to run over and let you know. Has anything happened to my father? asked the girl. It isn't your father. This is almost more dreadful, because he is so young. Then that bright pink hue spread itself over Marion's face, but she stood speechless with her features almost hardened by the resolution which she had already formed within her not to betray the feelings of her heart before this other girl. The news, let it be what it might, must be of him. There was no one else so young of whom it was probable that this young woman would speak to her after this fashion she stood silent motionless conveying nothing of her feelings by her face unless one might have read something from the deep flush of her complexion i don't know how to say it said clara demijohn there you had better take the paper and read for yourself it's in the last column but one near the bottom fatal accident in the field you'll see it marion took the paper and read the words though without faltering or moving a limb, why would not the cruel young woman go and leave her to her sorrow? Why did she stand there looking at her, as though desirous to probe to the bottom the sad secret of her bosom? She kept her eyes still fixed upon the paper, not knowing where else to turn them, for she would not look into her tormentor's face for pity. "'Ain't it sad?' said Clara Demijohn. Then there came a deep sigh. Sad, she said, repeating the word. Sad. Yes, it's sad. I think, if you don't mind, I'll ask you to leave me now. Oh, yes, there's the newspaper. Perhaps you'd like to keep it for your father. Here Marion shook her head. Then I'll take it back to aunt. She's hardly looked at it yet when she came to the paragraph, of course, she read it out, and I wouldn't let her have any peace till she gave it to me to bring over.' "'I wish you'd leave me,' said Marion Fay. Then, with a look of mingled surprise and anger, she left the room, and returned across the street to number ten. "'She doesn't seem to me to care a straw about it,' said the niece to her aunt. "'But she got up just as tidy, tidy as usual.' and asked me to go away. When the Quaker came to the door and opened it with his latch-key, Marion was in the passage ready to receive him. Till she had heard the sound of the lock she had not moved from the room, hardly from the position in which the other girl had left her. She had sunk into a chair which had been ready for her, and there she had remained, thinking over it. Father, she said, laying her hand upon his arm as she went to meet him and looking up into his face father my child have you heard any tidings in the city have you heard any marion is it true then she said seizing both his arms as though to support her who knows who can say that it be true till further tidings shall come Come in, Marion. It is not well that we should discuss it here. Is it true? Oh, father, oh, father, it will kill me. Nay, Marion, not that. After all, the lad was little more than a stranger to thee. A stranger? How many weeks is it since first thou sawest him? And how often? But two or three times. I am sorry for him if it be true. I liked him well. But I have loved him. Nay, Marion, nay, thou shouldst moderate thyself. I will not moderate myself. Then she disengaged herself from his arm. I loved him with all my heart and all my strength. Nay, with my whole soul. If it be so, as that paper says, then I must die too. Oh, father, is it true, think you? He paused a while before he answered, examining himself what it might be best that he should say as to her welfare. As for himself, he hardly knew what he believed. These papers were always in search of paragraphs and would put in the false and true alike, the false perhaps the sooner, so as to please the taste of their readers. But if it were true, then how bad would it be to give her false hopes. There need be no ground to despair, he said, till we shall hear again in the morning. I know he is dead. Not so, Marion. Thou canst know nothing. If thou wilt bear thyself like a strong-hearted girl, as thou art, I will do this for thee. I will go across to the young lord's house at Hendon at once and inquire there as to his safety. They will surely know if aught of ill has happened to their master. So it was done. The poor old man, after his long day's labour, without waiting for his evening meal, taking only a crust with him in his pocket, got into a cab on that cold November evening, and had himself driven by suburban streets and lanes to Hendon Hall here the servants were much surprised and startled by the inquiries made they had heard nothing lord hampstead and his sister were expected home on the following day dinner was to be prepared for them and fires had already been lighted in the rooms dead killed out hunting trodden to death in the field not a word of it had reached hendon hall nevertheless the housekeeper when the paragraph was shown to her believed every word of it and the servants believed it thus the poor quaker returned home with but very little comfort marion's condition during that night was very sad though she struggled to bear up against her sorrow in compliance with her father's instructions there was almost nothing said as she sat by him while he ate his supper On the next morning, too, she rose to give him his breakfast, having fallen asleep through weariness a hundred times during the night, to wake again within a minute or two to the full sense of her sorrow. "'Shall I know soon?' she said, as he left the house. "'Surely someone will know,' he said, and I will send thee word.' But as he left the house, the real facts had already been made known at the Duchess of Edinburgh. One of the morning papers had a full circumstantial and fairly true account of the whole matter. "'It was not his lordship at all,' said the good-natured landlady, coming out to him as he passed the door. "'Not Lord Hampstead?' "'Not at all.' "'He was not killed?' "'It wasn't him as was hurt, Mr. Fay.' It was another of them young men, one Mr. Walker, only son of Watson, Walker, and Warren. And whether he be dead or alive, nobody knows. But they do say there wasn't a whole bone left in his body. It's all here, and I was a-going to bring it to you. I suppose Miss Fay did take it badly. I knew the young man, said the Quaker, hurrying back to his own house with the paper anxious if possible not to declare to the neighbourhood that the young lord was in truth a suitor for his daughter's hand and i thank thee mrs Grimley, for thy care the suddenness of it all frightened my poor girl that'll comfort her up said mrs Grimley cheerily from all we hear mr fay she do have reason to be anxious for this young lord i hope he'll be spared to her mr fay And show himself a true man. Then the Quaker returned with his news, which was accepted by him and by them all as trustworthy. Now my girl will be happy again? Yes, father. But my child has told the truth to her old father at last. Had I told you any untruth? No, indeed, Marion. I said that I am not fit to be his wife. "'And I am not. Nothing is changed in all that. But when I heard that he was... But, father, we will not talk of it now. How good you have been to me, I shall never forget. And how tender!' Who should be soft-hearted if not a father? "'They are not all like you. But you have been always good and gentle to your girl.' How good and how gentle we cannot always see, can we? But I have seen it now, father. As he went into the city, about an hour after his proper time, he allowed his heart to rejoice at the future prospects of his girl. He did now believe that there would be a marriage between her and her noble lover. She had declared her love to him, to him her father, and after that she would surely do as they would have her. Something had reached even his ears of the coyness of girls, and it was not displeasing to him that his girl had not been at once ready to give herself with her easy promise to her lover. How strong she had looked even in the midst of her sufferings on the previous evening! That she should be weaker this morning, less able to restrain her tears! More prone to tremble as he spoke to her was but natural. The shock of the grief will often come after the sorrow is over. He knew that and told himself that there need be nothing, need not at least be much, to fear. But it was not so with Marion as she lay all the morning convulsed almost with the violence of her emotions. Her own weakness was palpable to herself as she struggled to regain her breath struggled to repress her sobs struggled to move about the house and be as might be any other girl better just lie thee down till thy father return and leave me to bustle through the work said the old quaker woman who had lived with them through all their troubles then marion yielded and laid herself on the bed till the hour had come in which her father might be expected End of section 41. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.